God who experiences emotions. He's described in the Bible uh, as a God who experiences joy and, and uh, sadness even, and uh, the range of emotions. And He created us in the same way, and that those emotions, when rightly experienced, are, are good things. And so we've talked about love, and we've talked about joy, and, and it, it, we kind of would all agree, I think, that sure, it's, it's good to be loved, it's good to love, it's good to have joy, experience joy. Uh, today, uh, we're going to talk about the opposite of joy, uh, and, and, and maybe we won't, won't all so quickly agree that this is a good thing. This, this is, I, I think, going to be my most difficult selling point today, is to try to convince us that sadness can actually be a good thing, but that's my goal, is that we walk out of here realizing, hey, there's some benefit even to that emotion, and if I fail, the ushers are going to hand out antidepressants on the way out, and so <laughs> we will fix everything in the end if I don't get this just right. But um, really, really, joy and sadness in some ways are, are opposites, but they're both true. It's kind of like the opposite sides of the same coin, that kind of worn-out, dated phrase. But, it, but it's really true. They're, they're complete opposite, and, and yet both of them have some real value, some real benefit for our lives. And, and really, in order to be emotionally healthy and relationally healthy and, and even spiritually healthy, it's important that we understand both and, and, and that our experience of both is guided by what is true, and by what is revealed to us by God in Scripture. So that's, that's what we're going to talk about. And, and let's, let's start our discussion here. Let, let's begin with this idea. God told us that there would be times of sadness in our lives. Right? Let's, just, let's agree with that. Let's, let, let's own the fact that God never promised us that we would walk through life and only experience good things. He was really honest. Now, Sometimes we misread the Bible or we pick out the sections of the Bible that we like more than others and we, we convince ourselves that that's true. We, we convince ourselves that, hey, if I pray enough, if I, if I go to church enough, if I give enough money, if I go on enough mission trips, if I do enough nice things for other people, then my life is supposed to be perfect. The problem is God never said that. Right? The Bible never said that. The Bible is just really honest that our life takes these turns, and, and sometimes it's really great things we experience, and sometimes, sometimes it's really hard things that we experience. I, I mentioned this verse last week from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where Solomon writes, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. It's one of many places in the Bible where God, through, through a person, communicates to us, look, life is going to go through both of those. And, and an expectation that your life will never have struggle sets you up not only for frustration, but it, it sets you up to misunderstand God. Right? I, I think one of, the, one of the most damaging lies, misperceptions about the Christian life is, is this one that's often given that, hey, if you give your life to Jesus, everything just works out after that. Like, if you go to church, if you believe in God, then 
magically all the pieces fall into place and your life just, and you never have marriage problems and your kids are always on the honor roll. Everything's just blue skies once you come to know Jesus. Few, few beliefs have been more damaging to Christianity than that. And I, 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 don't mean to, I don't mean to pick on any particular group, but it's one of my struggles with a lot of the Christian movies that get made. Because somehow, like, they pray and, like, everything's fixed at the end. Like, an hour and 45 minutes, and they went from my life's terrible to I prayed, and now everything's perfect. That's not the way my life is. That's not the way most believers, like, that I talk to, like, they don't have an hour and 40 minutes later, and poof, we never had infertility. Like, we never, nobody ever died in my family, you know, and, I, had, I paid all my bills, and I had like $1,000 left, so I went on vacation, and God sent me a check for... I, I don't know people like that. But somehow, this gets presented as, as an accurate reflection of God, when God, all throughout the Bible, says, Oh, whoa, 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 look, it's going to be some tough times. There will be a time to weep. There will be a time to, to laugh. There will be a time to mourn, and there will be a time... To dance. And, and if you buy into this, if I pray the prayer, if, if I walk with God, everything's perfect, then what that sets you up for is when you hit struggles, then one of two things have to be true. Either it's your fault because you're not doing enough good stuff. Like when your marriage gets rocky, then, well, it's all your fault because you didn't go to church enough. Or it's all your fault because you're not praying the right prayer. You didn't use the right magic words, and so... It's my fault when bad things happen. And, and let's be honest, sometimes I contribute to struggles in my life. We'll talk about that. The other, the other problem we run into is then we start to think, well, maybe God's not really good. Maybe he's not looking out for me. Maybe he's not protecting me. Or maybe there's just not a God at all because I'm a good person and I do good things and I'm struggling. And if we honestly said that to God and we could honestly hear his answer, I think a lot of times he would say, yeah, but don't you remember I told you that was going to happen in the world? Jesus said it. John chapter 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. You will. He didn't say you might, like a couple of you, like 30%. It's going to be 60, 40 good. But he didn't say you might. Jesus was just real clear. He said, look, this world's messed up. And that mess up is going to get into your life sometimes. And maybe it's your fault and maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it's nobody's fault. But just the messiness of the world as its system is working is going to plow into your life sometimes. You will have trouble. You will. And then he gives this great phrase, but... But take heart, like be encouraged. I've overcome the world. Like there's nothing coming into your life. There's nothing crashing into your life that, that you and I can't handle, that I'm not strong enough for. But I'm going to be real honest with you. Life's going to hurt sometimes. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be grief. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be tears. James said it. The beginning of his letter, really the first thing he says after kind of greeting everybody James 1, 2, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. When you do that, not if you do that. Whenever, like all the times in your life that you're going you're gonna to come in and out of good times and difficult times. And we'll talk about the rest of that verse a little bit later. Now, before we kind of dive into this a little bit more, let, let me say that the Bible does say that these times should be seasons. 
Solomon says there's a there's a time for that, there's a time for weeping, and there's a time for laughing as well. There's a time for mourning, there's a time for joy. So there's a season, there, there are times in our life when we struggle and we have difficulties, we experience sadness. It should not be like the complete life cycle of everything that we experience. Right? Like from birth to grave shouldn't be this. God says, no, there's, there's times for it, and there's times that you will not be in that, and if as I mentioned last week, if this is a perpetual thing in your life, if you're, if you're struggling with discouragement and this is going on weeks and months or maybe years of your life, then you know, maybe it's time to talk to your doctor. Maybe it's time to get with a Christian counselor. They can be wonderfully helpful, wonderfully helpful to navigate those seasons that kind of extend beyond a small period. But God was honest. We're going to experience it. So how, how can that experience be a good thing? I mean, that's what I'm trying to prove to you in this series is that these experiences of emotion can be good things. How can that one be good? Here's some ideas. <clears throat> First, sorrow reminds us that this world is not as it should be. Sorrow is a reminder. Struggles are a reminder. Brokenness is a reminder. The world system is not the way God intended it to be. There's a brokenness here. And also that reminder that, look, this isn't our home. This isn't like our eternal destiny here. We're not just living for this world. This world is not the way it should be. And, and I think if you turn on the TV, you pull up the internet, right? Log on to a few news sites. Well, watch 10 minutes of the evening news. I, I think if you're an honest person, it's it's pretty easy to say that this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way people are supposed to treat each other. This is not the way the world ought to be operating, and you would be right. Sadness reminds us this, the world's broken. Now, the Bible defines where that brokenness comes from. The Bible, again, is really clear and says the brokenness that you're experiencing in the world is the result of disobedience to the creator of the world. When mankind decides, no, we're going to do things my way, not God's way. When we walk away from relationship with our Heavenly Father, that breaks the way things are supposed to operate. And you multiply that by six billion people on the planet, and we've got a world that's broken by sin. And the brokenness is not like out there. It's not in the Middle East. It's, it's not in warring countries. It's, it, it's not in places where there's great violence. The Bible says, no, the, the problem's in here. The problem is that all of us have a heart that's bent towards ourself instead of bent towards God. And when we live out of that, when we operate out of that, that creates broken relationships and, and, and broken systems and a broken world. And that's pretty easy to see. System's broken. Another reason I think sadness benefits us, it's a good thing, is because there are some things we ought to be sad about. I mean, there are some things worthy of our hearts being broken. There's some things worthy of us looking at and going, man, that's not right, and I'm broken because of that. All over the internet this week, all over social media, all over the news. There was a particular image that we saw again and again. It was the image of a five-year-old Syrian boy 
whose home had been bombed and the conflict that's going on over there, he and his parents had been pulled from the rubble. This little five-year-old boy was placed in an ambulance in total shock, debris all over him, bleeding, and, and somebody took a picture of him sitting there and and it's blown up all over the world. And if you missed it this week, I have no idea how you missed it. You must have been secluded from life and everything. Because every time you pull up your news feed, every time you turn on the television, this picture is being shown. And you know what the right response to this picture is? Is sadness. It's broken. It's that our world is in this condition that a five-year-old little boy is getting pulled out of a bombed house. It's brokenness. I mean, that's the right reaction. To this, it, You know as well as I do, the, the problem though is, it'll be a different picture tomorrow. And then it'll be a different picture Tuesday, and it'll be a different picture Wednesday. It's part of the desensitizing of, that technology has done to us. We see these pictures so often, we hear these stories so often, we see tragedies so often, we're, we're brought face to face with with the orphan epidemic so often. We're brought face-to-face with the sex trafficking problems. So obvious, like one right after another, right after. And it sort of desensitizes our empathy. But the right response to this brokenness is brokenness. And here is sadness. I mean, that's the right way to feel sometimes. And it's good that we feel that way. Because God feels that way about these situations. Uh, great proverb. Proverb 25:20 says, "Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart." It's kind of a poetic way of saying, you know what? Sometimes sadness is the right response. Sometimes you don't need to come and try to cheer somebody up. Like you don't need a comedy routine sometimes. Sometimes Brokenness and sadness is the right response. and You just need to be in it. You need to feel the weight of it. Because of a broken world due to sin and the way we treat one another, the right response, sadness. More than 50 million children aborted before they ever got to live their life. The response is sadness. The response is brokenness to that news. I was at a funeral yesterday. I'll be at a funeral again this afternoon. You lose somebody you love. You lose somebody you care about. The right response is sadness. They meant something to you. It's okay to experience that. When I talk to individuals or families who who are walking through grief, one of the things I warn them about is to to ignore people who tell you that you'll get over it. Because they don't know what they're talking about. Like when everybody steps in, when somebody steps into a, a, a situation where there's been loss and they say, hey, I'm praying for you, I know you're going to get over this. I think, you never lost anybody. <laughs> like obviously nobody close to you has ever died. Because you don't get over that. I mean, you learn to live with it better. That the pain's not as intense as it first was. But why would you want to get over that? You love them. They were a part of your life. They're always going to be a part of your life. Get over it is such a dumb thing to say. You're welcome. <laughs> feeling the weight, feeling the loss, feeling the hurt 
that's the right response. Some, some things are worth being sad about. And God created us to feel that. Uh, another reason. This can be a good thing in our lives. We meet God in our sorrow in a different way than we meet Him in our joy. We meet God, we learn things of God, we experience God's presence in a different way in our sorrow than we do in our joy. And look, I love joy. We talked about it last week. Like, I like a party and celebrating. I like good music. I like worshiping together. I like everything to go great. I mean, if you ask me on any given day, do you want a good day? The answer is yes. You don't even have to ask me. Every day I get up, I want a good day. But this is what I know. I know that I meet God in a different way on bad days than I do on good days. And I learn things about God on good days. And and things happen in my heart when I'm expressing joy. But there's something about the character and faithfulness of God that I didn't experience until I had some bad days. Until I had some struggles. And then I realized God really is there during those times. I really can be honest with. I really can pour out my heart and whatever's in there. I can do that to God and he's with me and he's going to carry me through that and he's going to keep walking with me through that. I experience that side of God in my sorrow in a way that I don't experience it in my in my joy just just to know that he's there. Passages like Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in troubles. Like he's there. And you don't know He's there until you need Him to be there. You don't realize He's going to be there in the difficult times till you're in the difficult times. And you realize, right, He's here. He's here. And sometimes, some of you relate to this, sometimes it's not even until you look back, right? Because sometimes you're going through difficult times and you're thinking, God, where are you? God, what is up? Why is this happening? And then you start to move forward and you realize, oh, He was there. He's the reason I'm where I am today. Psalm 10 says, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. You consider their grief and you take it in hand. Like you're a part of this process. You're in there with them. Probably many of us would say, maybe most of us would say, we learned the most about God and about our faith, not when everything was going great. We learned more about God and our faith when we had trials. When we didn't know if things were going to work out. When we didn't know how it was going to turn out. When we did not have control over the circumstances that were happening. Those are the times we leaned on God and depended on God and learned something of God in a way that we didn't when things were going well. Because if there's a God, surely He can handle those times too. Surely he is big enough and strong enough for our weakest days. Paul even learned this, right? In my weakness, he's strong. When I'm at the bottom is when he comes alongside of me and picks me up. Not only do I, do I meet God in a different way, but I also think I meet myself in a different way in my grief. Like I learn things about me during struggle and trials that I don't learn when everything's going fine. Things get revealed about my character and about my faith. And sometimes those are negative things, right? Sometimes I realize, boy, I really haven't been trusting 
God. Or, or sometimes I realize, man, I'm really, really selfish and all of this is sort of coming out of that. Or, boy, I really like things my way. Or I've really been taking something for granted and now that something's been taken away and I can see it clearly. Now, I, sometimes I learn negative things about myself and, and areas that I need to grow when I'm in the middle of struggles and sometimes I learn positive things. Sometimes I realize, boy, my faith has grown because if I'd experienced this five years ago, I don't think I would have walked through it the way I am right now. I, I, I experienced that I'm, maybe I'm stronger than I thought I was or I'm stronger than I was at some point in the past. I, I, I meet God in a different way in my struggles, but I meet myself in a different way as well. And, and in meeting God and in meeting myself in a unique way through my struggles, struggles then have a way of refining me, of shaping me in a way that good times can't. Again, love good times. There's good about good times. But as far as the, the shaping and the molding and the building of me from the inside out, Struggles have a unique way of doing that. James, the verse I mentioned, he gets into that right after verse 2. He writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, look, every time you face a a struggle, a trial, a sadness, a sorrow. No, this is the opportunity for you to grow. This is an opportunity for you to grow in a way that you won't choose to grow when things are going fine. You'll learn perseverance. You'll, you'll learn maturity. You'll grow up. You'll learn to hang in there. Your faith will get expanded because our struggles refine us in that way. Another thing about our, our struggles, our sadness... Our struggles help us encourage others. They, they help develop that empathy for other people and that ability to speak into other people's lives when they're going through struggles. Here's what I know about my experiences. <clears throat> my successes, the things that go well, my successes help me instruct other people, but my struggles help me connect with other people. Like, like the things that I've succeeded in, the things that I've done well in, I can sit down and teach somebody that. I can say, hey, this is what I did and it worked well. You should do this too. This is how I solved that problem and it all worked out. So look, you should follow these five steps. I can instruct people. I can, in I can teach people out of my successes, but I connect with people out of my struggles when I'm able to say, yeah, I failed at that too, or yeah, I struggled with that too, or yeah, I felt that loss in my life too. It allows me and you to connect. We learn how to comfort other people because we get comforted. Paul said this really clearly in 2 Corinthians. He writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And like Paul often does, he kind of doubles back on his own language and it takes just a minute to figure out what he's saying. What he's saying is, 
your ability to comfort or encourage, whatever word you want to use, your, your ability, to, ability to comfort somebody who's going through struggles is directly related to the struggles that you've gone through. Because in order to comfort somebody else, you've got to be comforted yourself. And the only time you need comfort is when you're in a struggle. So part of the reason we go through sadness is because God is going to give us an opportunity later on to encourage somebody who's there. The comfort that I receive, I'm able to give to somebody else. And, and I'm less effective at that if I haven't experienced struggles myself. If I haven't walked through sadness myself, I'm less effective at encouraging the heart of somebody who is going through that. Another thought. Some sorrow leads to life correction or self-correction. Some sorrow, some grief about myself leads me to make some changes. And that's a good thing. It's an underemphasized thing today, but it's a good thing. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 7. He wrote, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And what he's saying is, it is a good thing. When I look at my life and I identify an area that's not obedient to God, and I feel bad about that. As a matter of fact, I feel so bad about it that I turn back to God and I change that thing. When, when I look at a, a, a lifestyle choice or a habit or, or, or an attitude or a way of speaking or a way of acting, and in my, in my heart I know this is, this is not who God wants me to be. And I feel bad about that. We, we, in churches, we have our own language. And we call it conviction sometimes. God convicts us. God, God makes us aware. Hey, this is not right. You, 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 sh- you don't need to do this. You don't need to be living this way. And Paul says that's really good if you feel that. And, and we're in you know, kind of a self-help, everybody needs to feel good about themselves age. And so, and so we downplay, we're, we're always critical of words like shame and embarrassment, but hey, a little bit of healthy shame ain't a bad thing sometimes. If, if it leads me to make correction, if I realize I don't want to live that way, I, I want to live the way God wants me to live, so I'm going to turn, which is what repentance is about, I, I'm going to turn away from that because my heart's broken that I'm actually living that way. And I'm going to move towards God. Now, Paul says there's a difference between feeling that kind of sadness and feeling worldly shame, worldly sorrow. Because the kind of sadness that God wants us to feel turns us back to God. And then Paul says it doesn't leave any regret. Like God doesn't come along six months later and say, hey, you remember that time you, mixed, you messed up a year ago? God doesn't keep reminding us of our failure. But God prompts us to feel bad about our failure so that we make a change. And then it's done. Then grace covers it. Then we're forgiven. There's no regret. There's no like lingering, I'm going to keep beating up on myself when God's already forgiven me. There's none of that. But, I, but a healthy sense of, man, I, I don't want to live in disobedience to God. I don't want to keep making that decision. We, we live in a real defensive age where everybody's approach to their 
lifestyle choices, to their attitudes, to whatever. Every, it seems like everybody's approach is, well, that's none of your business, and don't judge me, and it's my life, and stay out of it. And Paul says, it'd be healthier if we'd just own it, and we'd make a change. Now, it's not my place to come around and, and tell all of you all the bad stuff you should be ashamed of. That's not my place. Paul's saying, this ought to happen from inside of us. We ought to occasionally take stock of our life, and, and, and when we realize this is not pleasing to God, then it ought to motivate us to turn back to God. Last thing about sorrow. It's, it's the reality that one day God will bring sadness to an end. Sadness is not a perpetual thing. God does not intend that our struggles and our trials and our sadness be a perpetual thing for the rest of this life and all of eternity. God's always at work to bring sadness to an end in this life and certainly in the next life. The Bible's full of passages like the one in Psalm 126. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. In other words, those who have a season of sorrow... God's bringing a season of joy to them. Uh, Another one in Psalm 30. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Or Jeremiah, I will turn their mourning into gladness. Even in this life, we have a God of joy who, yes, has told us, you're going to walk through difficult times, but our God is always at work to bring joy back to us. And certainly in the next life. For while sadness has a purpose in this life, apparently it has no purpose in the next life. Because God has promised us that in the next life, He's wiping it out completely. Once it has taught us what we needed to learn, once it has refined us here in this life, once it's pointed us back to Him, when we get in the next life, the very last book of the Bible, one of the last chapters, we learn that He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more weeping or death or separation or mourning. He's just going to get rid of all of it. And he's setting up joy as the perpetual attitude and atmosphere of heaven and eternity. That's that's what he wants to usher into our lives eventually. Sadness, maybe more than any other emotion, has a way of coloring our experiences, our lives, our perspectives our memories. Sorry to keep quoting Pixar movies, but they're just fabulous. If you saw Inside Out, it's this this funny movie about sort of the competition between our our emotions on the inside and they all have little character figures and they're all trying to win out as to which emotion is going to win the day in the human that the emotions are a part of. Um, And Sadness, who's depicted in the movie... Sadness is sort of kept out of the way because joy feels like there's never a place for sadness. Like we don't want anybody to get sad. So she draws a little circle and tells sadness to stay in that circle because if you remember, every time sadness touches a memory, then that memory becomes sad. And By the end of the movie, you realize that boy, sadness had a place in helping the young girl become who she was. Sadness had a place in in helping her experience the encouragement and the friendship and the the comfort of other people. Yes, it it colored who she was. It it, it colored her experiences, but 
that wasn't always a bad thing. And even though none of us is looking for sadness today, like none of you walked in going, just want to get some sadness today, right? It's like on the way home, that's nobody's prayer. God, just give me some sadness. Nobody's asking for that. But the great thing is our our God is able to shape even those times into encouragement and strength and perseverance and faith and a reminder that He is with us and refining us, even our struggles, even our sadness, when given over to Him, becomes something worthwhile in our life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are honest enough to say life is going to get hard sometimes because the world's broken, because none of us operate exactly the way we were designed. Relationships are going to get hard. There's going to be loss and brokenness and sadness, and it's okay to feel that. It's okay to be in that place because in that place, we're we're learning about you. We're meeting you in a new way. We're, we're getting strength for what's to come. We're, we're learning to comfort other people because we know what we needed in that moment. And then we're able to give that to people who are coming behind us. And God, we thank you. We thank you that you're taking it away. That when we mourn, you're always ready to bring joy back. And in eternity, we're just going to experience joy forever. But help us to have strength. Help us to encourage one another as we weep. For you are still good and still God. Even in our biggest struggles. I pray it in Jesus' name.